Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that says even if the UK is at a virus tipping point, I'm not giving it one as the service has been appalling. I'm Tina Duyebin as Liverpool are put on the highest tier from Wednesday with harsh lockdown restrictions. I'm wondering if this is what the government meant when they promised to level up the north. According to the Prime Minister and melted grip bin Boris Johnson, the rising coronavirus infection figures are flashing at us like dashboard warnings in a passenger jet, which is obviously why he's taken the option of only putting one area of England into lockdown. The equivalent of handing parachutes to only about 20 of the people on a flight and waving goodbye to the rest as you nosedive into the sea. We now have a three-tier system, which has come from Johnson, so they're probably tiers of a clown. Yep, three tiers, just like another cake that the government both want to have and eat. Do you remember the old five levels of coronavirus alert chart from back in the spring? Yeah? Well, it seems no one in the government does, as they've created a whole new one instead that has less stages on it, so maybe it'll be easier for the Prime Minister to understand. Maybe if back in March they just come up with a chart with a step saying you don't have to do anything, go back to cheating on your wife and one saying everything's fucked, you'll have to do some work, sorry, then maybe we'd be in a better place right now. Under the new system, you'll be able to type your postcode into gov.uk and assuming it works better than the track and trace system and doesn't decide you don't exist or live in a lake or something, you can check if your area is on medium alert, which would mean you have to be careful. Or perhaps it's on high alert, which means you have to be really careful and you can't have friends round. Or maybe it'll be venti, sorry, very high alert, which would mean you can go get wasted in a restaurant as long as you order a starter and you will have to keep fit, but the gyms are closed. Classic clear messaging from the government once again that is based on the science that they've made up that says that the coronavirus hates meal deals. Level 3, or very high, is only for areas where there's been a significantly higher rate of transmission. So hopefully Westminster will be locked down very soon, as the Prime Minister did broadcast a press conference to the entire nation from there. Under tier, or level 3, depending on if you feel it's the next difficulty stage of an endless game that is this shit government, a walk-along beat-em-up where it's the country that gets repeatedly punched, or if you consider it something to fall off, injuring yourself on the way down. Up to you. 
tier or level. Well, if COVID-19 beats your area's level 2 boss and reaches level 3, then it will only be the tightest of restrictions for you, meaning it's basically back to March times, but with added being allowed to drink in places that also do food, and the extra mental toll of knowing dickheads in Surrey are having a soiree where they're licking caviar off each other's nutsacks while you can't even see your gran. The main areas that have been targeted with Tier 2s are in the north, as though the Conservatives are really trying to get their title back from the Lannisters. I get it, I get it, we're all victims to trying really hard when it comes to the chase, but once coupled up, standards drop. And so it is with the North, where the Conservatives won seats in last year's election, but are now really testing the relationship by being too controlling and trying to stop them going out or having any fun. Manchester has been in some sort of lockdown since July, but is now going to be in Tier 2. And that means pubs can stay open and different households can meet outside, a very cruel gesture for anyone that's ever been to Manchester in October. It also means the government know that you're there, but they don't want to give you any money as you don't usually vote for them. Liverpool, on the other hand, are now set to have the strictest terms possible from Wednesday, meaning full-on lockdown. Apparently, the difference in regional infections is because of the North's failure to reduce disease as much there as in the South, probably because Gringotts staff member Dominic Cummings wasn't personally ferrying COVID there every other day. There is a chance these new lockdown rules are just going to be based on where the PM's advisor was last spotted until they can finally trap him in some sort of concrete containment unit and spray him with Dettol. Luckily, Chief Medical Officer and cartoon tortoise Chris Whitty has said that if we hadn't done any of the things we had done, it could somehow be even worse than it is now. So it's nice to know that should we get really bored of this rock bottom, there's a way that the Prime Minister could tunnel us down even deeper. It's beautiful British optimism, that. Yes, everything is as bad as it could be, but it could also be much worse, so you mustn't grumble. There is some hope as well, as Johnson said he'd do his best to make Christmas as normal as possible, though for him that'll mean avoiding his 600 children and going on an exotic holiday paid for by a lobbyist. The government's scientific and medical advisers also held an emergency TV briefing earlier in the day on Monday, including Old Baby and Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jonathan Van Tam, who made his surprise return like a Marvel character we assume had been killed off in an earlier instalment. They warned that infection rates were creeping through the age groups, like a reverse Prince Andrew, and that we need to take this disease seriously, which gives it a lot more gravitas than the government. The Nightingale hospitals are being told to mobilise like the world's least anticipated tour show and there are now more people in hospital with Covid than there were before the national lockdown in spring. But that could be because the weather's not as nice now for coughing yourself to death outdoors. Van Tam recommended avoiding the three C's, who I assume is Johnson Cummings and startled buttered bean and health secretary Matt Hancock. Oh no, sorry, that's not what C's stand for. Uh, It means areas that are closed off, crowded or have close conversations. And there are added concerns when VD is involved. Yeah, he was definitely talking about Johnson, wasn't he? No, sorry, uh, VD means volume and duration. Oh no, wait, that still could be Johnson. But don't worry, as while this lockdown could be more misery for the country, the Chancellor and what if someone drew eyes above a hammock, Rishi Sunak, announced his new work bailout programme that means employees who work for firms that are told to shut due to the Covids will get a full 67% of their wages. Great, I'm sure we can all survive on only 67% of food and paying only 67% of our bills and everyone will just understand. I mean, maybe landlords can only kick a third of you out if you can't pay your rent and you just have to make sure that one leg is always out of a window or a door. This is also only for staff at places that have been ordered to close by the government and not for anywhere that stays open in a lockdown but cuts back on hours or anywhere that's already struggling to survive. So chances are high they'll tell all the companies owned by their friends and party lobbyists to close while advising everywhere else not to close but also maybe not to remain open. How about just remaining ajar as the ventilation might help?
There was controversy earlier in the week when ITV tweeted that Sunak had said people in the arts would just have to retrain and adapt. But they deleted that tweet when they realised he had said that, but in slightly different words so he could pretend he didn't. In reality, the Chancellor had said that the government had allocated funding for the arts, which we learned today has mainly gone to buildings and venues, and that people from all walks of life are just having to retrain and adapt. You know, to get other jobs that also don't exist. Well, more fool you, Rishi, as if I've ever done any training in the first place. I might give being the Chancellor a try, though, as I haven't got a clue how to do either, so I'd probably be alright. Sunak says he's keen to help people get their business back to life, which just seems like an acceptance that is definitely already dead. Once resurrected, wouldn't it then be a zombie business, brain-dead and lurching, before devouring another business that's unable to run? Maybe that's his plan. Luckily, MPs who are working from home will get an extra £3,300 a year from 2021, because hey, if they don't have their well-paid jobs, who else will ensure that they can't save every job? Meanwhile, across the pond, US President and decayed lobster mushroom Donald Trump is out of hospital and back on the campaigning trail, saying that he's never felt better after taking some experimental COVID drugs called Regeneron, which sound like something from a sci-fi film. There's every chance it'll make him grow insect legs from his face or not be able to stop from turning into his liquid form, but let's be honest, either would be an improvement. Trump has spent every day since his recovery tweeting medicated madness about how the flu is worse than the coronavirus, which it's not, asking why the FBI hasn't arrested his political opponents yet, and occasionally just tweeting Space Force in capital letters, because nothing will persuade a swing voter like the shouted tweets of a man who should only be found in the corner of a pub at kick-out time with a bag full of illegal DVDs. There's every chance if Space Force does happen, Trump would just spend ages shouting at astronauts, why are you wearing a helmet? Do you want to be politically correct every time they do a spacewalk? Trump's doctors did sign him off, which he says now means he's immune to COVID, but it seems it was more in the way that just says he stopped working. Of course, now that he thinks he's immune, that means Trump both tried to halt all coronavirus stimulus packages until after the election, something he's had to U-turn on, and he's held rallies to thousands and thousands of supporters, standing on the White House balcony less like a Vita Peron and more like if Statler and Waldorf had been merged together and char-grilled. The president has refused to do a virtual debate against Democratic candidate and Linus from Peanuts has had a hard time, Joe Biden, because it must be hard to contemplate being in an artificially constructed reality when you spent the past four years existing in one already. I would have thought a great plan would just be to have the virtual debate anyway, and every time it would have been Trump's turn to talk, they just let a bouncy castle deflate into a gravel pit full of shit, and it would have been largely the same. Biden currently has a double-digit lead over Trump in the national polls because it turns out that having infectious energy isn't the plus you might think. Trump has had to cancel TV ads as his campaign is rapidly losing money and fundraising isn't working as he planned. But still, on the plus side, he won't have to lie to avoid paying any tax next year. The vice presidential debate took place last week too between what would the void look like in human form, Mike Pence, and Democratic candidate and that teacher you definitely don't misbehave in front of, Kamala Harris. Highlights included Harris starting the debate by saying the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country, which is a brutal first line. Very true. And points were definitely knocked off Pence for not just replying with, well, it's nice to see you too, or park life. Instead, dead-eyed Pence debated with all the energy of a snail on melatonin, and at one point a fly landed on his head for several minutes and he didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah, flies do like to land on things that are rotten or shit, but I think Pence knew it was there and finally just appreciated someone or something being keen to get close to him while his wife wasn't around. Pence then cancelled his trip to Indiana the next day to participate in early voting, so I'm guessing it was a no-fly zone. 
Back in the UK and earlier in the week, our own fire-hazardly-haired Prime Minister gave his speech at the Conservative conference, which included such whatever the opposite of gems are, as saying bumping elbows instead of shaking hands was the new national version of the birdie dance, which I guess he loves as everything he does is below par. Johnson said that we will see a Britain that's more united than for decades in its constitutional settlement, which might be because across all our nations, we're now equally pissed off at his government for how badly they've fucked everything up. He also attacked lefty human rights lawyers and do-gooders, echoing the Home Secretary and up to 60% Bittrex, Pretty Patel, in blaming the legal system for the government not being allowed to commit international breaches of human rights. It just gets in the way of your plans, as were revealed this week, to throw large mesh over dinghies carrying migrants across the English Channel, in what appears to be a big misunderstanding of the term net migration. The Home Office's barbaric plan would be to catch these dinghies and then send them back to France, but France are refusing to take them, another devastating blow to the UK's fishing industry. The new face of Boris Johnson has been revealed and let's face it, he's needed a new one for ages. The official number 10 lie deliverer, sorry, spokesperson, is the woman who always looks like she's promoting an album you'd only ever hear in a lift, Allegra Stratton. Allegra is the former political editor of ITV News, but is mostly remembered for her time on Newsnight when she humiliated a single mum about her benefit payments and misrepresented her as unemployed. Fingers crossed Stratton will give the same judgmental treatment to her new boss, a dad who abandoned his kids and now leeches off the state. Labour leader and Dick Tracy baddie Keir Starmer is doing great work at winning over voters who've been desperate for an opposition who excel at being completely inert. Starmer said he doesn't support the 10pm curfew for venues but won't tell Labour MPs to vote against it during a vote this week. Yeah, you tell him, Keir. You show the government that you stand up for science and supporting people by sitting over there and trying your best not to make a noise in case it distracts the Prime Minister. Nor will he tell Labour MPs to vote against the covert human intelligence sources bill if Labour's amendments don't go through. Yeah, that's right, mate. An effective opposition who just goes, oh, well, the government don't like my ideas, so I'll probably just lie down and wait to die. Brilliant. Starmer, who also just months ago said he supported anyone who isn't Trump in the US election, is now refusing to support Biden, you know, just in case he doesn't win. Starmer is basically your friend at school that would only ever like what you liked and would go home wishing they could have a personality of their own, but was too scared to try in case they had some emotions and it felt weird. SNP MP who looks like she lives in the house on the corner you were warned about as kids, Margaret Ferrier, is still refusing to resign following her breaching of coronavirus regulations. Instead, she called her actions a blip, though that's only true if she was censoring a swear word, and said that the virus makes you act out of character. And that is also true in her case, as she's quickly gone from being a background extra in politics to the main villain of the piece. Matt Hancock has denied that he breached rules by drinking after 10pm in the bar at the House of Commons, but his spokesperson said he wasn't. Luckily for the Health Secretary, there's no sort of decent track and trace system for us to ever find out. Housing Secretary and large slab Robert Jenrick has denied wrongdoings as Labour have called for investigations into why his constituency was awarded a £25 million regeneration grant by fellow Tory minister and Wallace, if he was mean, Jake Berry while Berry's constituency received the same thanks to Jenrick. It seems very much you pat my back and I'll stick wads of cash in your trousers, but Jenrick insists that there is a robust system in place for choosing where would benefit from the town's fund, you know, in the way that fish could have a really robust smell. Thousands of scientists and health experts signed the Great Barrington Declaration, warning that another lockdown would be more damaging than not having one. Oh wait, sorry, by thousands of scientists and health experts, I mean loads of made-up names like Dr Johnny Bananas, Dr Person Fake Name, Harold Shipman and Dominic Cummings of Durham University. Among many others, including homeopaths, therapists and a therapeutic sound practitioner who really should have known that it was nothing more than a lot of noise.
And lastly, what if there was a candle of John Cage from Ali McBeal, Pope Francis, has said that COVID has shown that capitalism and trickle-down economics doesn't work. Great work, Popey, but wait till you hear about an organisation that say an imaginary dude can only speak to a man at the top, and then if you keep donating him cash, he'll pass on those messages from his independent wealthy state. Yo, 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 Popol Brods. I hope you're all okay. And if you are in the tier three area of Liverpool, then I hope you're safe, well, and at the very least, uh, had some social events that you didn't want to go to and now have a really easy excuse not to attend. Uh, You have to find the silver linings where you can, don't you? I've just been looking at all the venues that have been awarded art support, which is good, uh, but all the freelancers that work in them have been completely ignored. So I'm mostly wondering if I can just retrain as an arts venue. I've got many floors uh, and stories. I've got several stairs that I can do. So I'm basically there I'm like part building no I won't make jokes about entrances and exits I'm better than that I'm much better than that how are you feeling about everything uh, I've got that well I don't want a lockdown but we probably should have a lockdown attitude where the last thing I want is to go back to leaving the house for one hour for essential exercise where my daughter sorry agent takes so long plodding down the street to talk to every lamppost and bee that the entire hour only gets me 50 feet away at best but I mean the virus is doing a really big old comeback tour right now and I do wish that microbiological was the one area of culture the government wouldn't help any further so you know The fact that the government don't want a national lockdown makes me think we probably really need one. I did two actual gigs last week, uh, which were really last minute. Or damn, I'd have told you about them on here for sure, but I I couldn't because they came in uh, on the Tuesday and I was there on the Wednesday. Um, And they were in Sheffield at the wonderful, wonderful lead mill. Uh, And there was an audience of about 100 or so for each one, all spread out and that. But God, it was such a tonic to do it. And the crowd was so much fun. They were so lovely and genuinely seemed so excited to also be at a live gig. Um, It's very hard uh, if you're not a performer. um, God, that's patronising, wasn't it? But it's very hard to explain what it's like getting to do a show again uh, like a proper one I've done some in fields where you sort of shout into the wind uh, it didn't feel the same this was proper um, and it felt amazing I imagine it's up there with how Trump felt after getting a massive load of Regeneron plopped into his arm uh, I remembered jokes I got to riff off people in the front row I spoke to other acts and socialised with them and I stayed in a hotel and had a pot noodle in bed proper bliss if TripAdvisor listed it I would have given it a five star review um, I'll tell you what wasn't the same though travelling around in a corona world so So many shops were closed, service stations weren't open after 10pm. And look, while I'm a big fan of Sheffers, it did feel a bit like I turned up on a weekend where everyone had gone away. Um, So not dissimilar to where I live at all, but it's just odd when you go somewhere else and you realise that that is also dead uh, and and weird. Fingers crossed things will get a chance to come back alive again between the second and third lockdowns and before the fourth, fifth and sixth. Fingers crossed. Um, honestly, uh, the interview on this week's show is so good. I'm going to race through this bit just so you can get to my overly long introduction for it. Um, so thank you uh, this week to all of you for listening. Uh, but thanks big time to Sean, James and Kim for Kofi donations and to James for joining the Patreon. Um, it is unbelievably helpful right now. Thank you. Um, as even the little bit of work I did this week paid a lot less than usual due to numbers of audience having to be lower. Ah, oh, silly, stupid world that we live in. Um, but if you enjoy this podcast and you can donate, then please do. And obviously you can can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or via the ACAST supporter button that no one uses. Um, also, if you do use the ACAST app, uh, can you pop a review for this show on there? The show hasn't got enough reviews on there for it to show the reviews it does have, and I'd quite like to see them in case it's just three people saying they hate me. But it is important that I know that, uh, you know, so I can take the feedback and ignore it. Um, of course, you can also review this show in other review places and just tell people about the show or all that stuff. Um, I 
walked under a bridge this week. I'm not telling you where, cheeky. And I saw a piece of paper sellotaped to the wall of it um, saying, Karl Marx does the washing up podcast, scrawled in pen and nothing else. And I immediately Googled it. Um, and while I haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast yet, I've definitely subscribed. So that was a brilliant tactic. All I'm saying is, uh, please scroll partly political broadcast podcast on some bridges near you. And you never know what will happen. What will happen is I'll probably get done for vandalism because uh, they'll track it and they'll find me and I'll get charged anyway. Um, on this week's show that I've had to add bits to throughout the day, thank you, 7pm press briefing, you bastard. Um, I am speaking to former digital strategist for Obama's re-election campaign in 2012, Matthew McGregor, um, all about the US election. And honestly, I enjoyed that chat so much. He's just head there right now. Go there right now. Go team, go. Hurry up. Why are you still listening to me? Why aren't you over there? Go there this instant. Stop dilly-dallying. Hurry. Go there right now. Go, go, go. America, America, in disarray are ye, with protests and forest fires and also virus C. America, America, what will you decide to do? Will you retain your orange horror or try for something new? You're welcome. Uh, currently, America is less 50 to United States and more, oh God, what a state of things, which each and every day of news coming from across the Atlantic, almost making things here in Blighty seem tame. Almost. Donald Trump has now been president for four years. Yeah, I know. And while I suppose in some ways we should be grateful that we're all still here, despite the ever worrying prospect that he'll nuke everything while high on experimental COVID-19 drugs, really the country has taken a massive battering under his leadership. It's hard to know where to begin with his presidential legacy, but even if I take a really deep breath, I'll manage to touch the surface. Something that he'd do without consent, as he thinks it's fine for celebrities. We'll try anyway. (sighs) Environmental damage, wrecking human rights protections, dismantling important institutions, legitimising the far right and hiring far right advisers, stirring racial division, then there's corruption, nepotism, tax avoidance, legitimising sexual harassment, pardoning some real crooks, shutting down government for ages due to a hissy fit about his wall, inflicting a Muslim travel ban, putting kids in cages, actually getting impeached, trying to buy Greenland. Yeah, I mean, that is a tiny fraction and it doesn't even include how this week he's mostly running around, if that's what you can call the weird sloping lurch that he does, huffing Rona at everyone he can, like Lepotica from Resident Evil 6. Yes, that's a really niche reference, but go look it up. Go on, go on, look it up. Go on, go on, go on. Yep, see, see. It is exhausting just thinking about it, let alone living under it, and the nerve-wracking feeling that there could be another four years of descending into the bleach cocktail of authoritarian disaster capitalism incompetency can only be churning many Americans' stomachs right now. You know, even more than having a Wendy's. The presidential election is weeks away, and while Joe Biden is ahead in the national polls by a substantial lead, anything could happen between now and then, from Russian interference, voter suppression, Trump merging fully with the coronavirus to become some giant mutated orange and purple biohazard floating over the city like a fetid chem spray blimp, or Mike Pence might command his army of flies to buzz really loudly when Democrats are trying to vote. That'd be so annoying. While I'm being slightly facetious, this US election is possibly one of the most important ones ever, as more Trump could equal more chaos and even less semblance of a democracy. But would a Biden win be enough to fix anything? Isn't he just more of the same old that led to this situation in the first place, with extra emphasis on the old? And is the Democratic candidate just hoping that not being Donald Trump would be enough to sway favour, something that clearly works with Melania? And what if Trump loses but refuses to go? Will he incite riots or will they just pop him in a fake Pentagon staffed by actors and tell him he's still president and he'll never ever notice? 
as we sit here with bated breath, hopefully behind a mask if you're near the POTUS, whatever happens is going to drastically affect America and the world's future for better or for much, much worse. As much as it's nice to know that us Brits aren't the only people living under a tumultuously haired dangerous idiot, I'm crossing everything that Americans are keen to have a president whose main skill isn't making everyone across the land wake up and think, oh no, what he done now? Was that enough of a summary? It's not really, is it? I mean, how can I possibly try to fit in the past four years of mayhem into such a short intro? Well, luckily, this week, I interviewed Matthew McGregor, a digital strategist who worked on Obama's re-election campaign in 2012 and is hailed for the speedy responses he coordinated after certain Mitt Romney gaffes. He's advised a number of social democratic political parties and now works for Hope Not Hate here in the UK. Matthew is also a US citizen and follows politics there very avidly and has a remarkable way of being able to clearly and accurately explain it all to someone like me, who still thinks Electoral College is a teen movie involving rival student presidential candidates falling in love to some terrible music by people who say they're punk but definitely aren't. Matthew told me all about what might happen, why Biden is actually a very lovely man and even took me through a ballot paper he had right there as we chatted and he made me very jealous about stickers. I should say this is a very long chat, but I actually wish it could have been longer, as I think this is one of those interviews that I do this show for. You know, informative, interesting and still, despite what it's about, fun and includes stickers. Two very quick things. Uh, There is one bit where Matthew offers two answers and tells me to edit one out if I want, but I didn't because I think both are great and very useful. Um, So that's not a mistake. Don't write in. I'll just scowl at it, print it off and then set fire to it to spite you. And the other thing is, for some reason, at one point, I described myself, I think, as quite left wing. When actually, I'm pretty damn left wing, as any of you listeners know. I'm not really sure why I stumbled on that, but I think it might be that I remember I really like trainers and Disney Plus. So that probably hurtles me uncomfortably centerwards, whether I like it or not. Anyway, I do hope you enjoy. Here is Matthew. So, Matthew, you worked on uh, Obama's re-election back in 2012, um, which, I mean, how strange is it now to look back and think of how normal an election that was in comparison to what we've got now, a, a possible Trump re-election, unlikely, but but possible. I mean, how different do you find US politics now? Can you can you relate to it? Can you recognise it at all? Is there anything in this uh, sort of current presidential campaign that seems remotely familiar to you? I mean, on one hand, it's, 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 it's funny, isn't it? You know, like it feels so quaint. 2012 feels so quaint at the time. People were like, oh my God, the Obama campaign is out with these negative ads and well, this, that and the other. And uh, uh, looking back at uh, we were, we were, we were soppy. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was nothing compared to what is now. But on the other hand, it's terribly sad as well. You know, I think it's incredible for the ratings. Everyone, everyone is kind of glued to Twitter, glued to cable news. What on earth is he going to do next? But at the same time, it's really sad for the country. I'm, I, I, I mean, I don't sound American. I know I don't, but I'm half American. I'm a U.S. citizen. I lived there for uh, a quarter of my life, and it's just really, really sad to see what has happened to the country uh, the, uh, in terms of its democratic institutions, um, in terms of um, its reputation abroad, but also the kind of the, the mess of politics isn't just a, a horrific thing to watch on the TV in the evening. It has horrendous real life implications for millions and millions and millions of people, whether that is uh, black Americans who have uh, been subjected to even worse police brutality over the last two or three years, immigrants who have been treated, uh, I mean, just unspeakably badly, 
all the way through to terrible policies on welfare, corruption in, in government, all of these things. It, it's kind of the difference between 2012 and now on one level is, is kind of hilarious and on another level heartbreaking. I mean, it, it, it feels like a sort of societal breakdown. I mean, it feels to me like it, we're, you know, we're, we're not saying the word civil war, but it feels like we're we're watching another, well, you know, in some ways a civil war with sort of a state, you know, the, the police and the state and, and tackling protesters in Portland, people who often just want human rights and, and sure. equality. I mean, I, I feel like we're watching something. I mean, again, I don't know how that must feel for you as, as someone who's half, half American, but here, you know, in the UK, as much with everything that we've got going on here, which is pretty horrendous as it is, it does feel like almost watching a film from a distance that it's, it's a whole different scenario there right now. Yeah, I mean, it is so horrendous that it feels like it almost can't be real. It is kind of um, uh, reality TV rather than than real life. I mean, I don't want to downplay how bad it is because it is bad. You know, uh, a protester was murdered on the streets of uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin by a right-wing terrorist. And the governing party of the United States has uh, raised money, activists within that party have raised money for the murderer's family. Um, and, And that's one incident that is almost forgotten now, even though it was only a month or so ago. I don't want to downplay that. It is horrendous. But as much as I love the United States, it has a a, a history of this kind of behavior. And it is awful compared to the 90s and to, you know, large parts of the 2000s and the 2010s. But if you look at how this last four years compares to America in the 50s or the 60s and how a a large number of Americans were treated by the police in the South or how Vietnam protesters were treated. Um, And, you know, obviously this is a country that has been through a very, very bloody civil war. You know, it has had a natural civil war. So I I don't want to downplay it, but at the same time, I think the country is um, resilient and I think that um, with a lot of work, if the election result goes the right way in three, four weeks' time, um, there is a route back from what is currently quite a dark place. I don't think it's a breakdown. I think it's a, um, a society that is at, um, at, at odds with itself um, and at one particular part of that society, the, the far right and, and its supporters um, are, are kind of stirring up violence but I, I don't think it's the kind of, I don't think we're anywhere near the sort of, is there going to be a civil war kind of, uh, you know, that bit. Sure. I I, I mean, um, one of the things that, can I ask, have you, saw, have you got family in the States now, have you? They- yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sort of, um, I'm married into it. My wife is American. Um, we moved over there to, so she could be closer to, to family uh, for a while. And we moved back since uh, to be closer to the British side of the, the family. But we're both, we're both US citizens and we've got family in Virginia. We've got family in, in New Jersey. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that I, I never really seen, uh, you know, her aunts or uncles or cousins really saying that anything that political until... A couple of years ago, and is 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 kind of you know the the Trump presidency has um, politicized a, a large number of Americans, um, and I think people on one hand are, are angry and they want to they want to do what they can to fight back. On the other hand, people are tired. They're tired of um, they're tired of needing to be angry. They're tired of the Republican Party giving them a reason to be angry, um, and you you can kind of see that in lots of different ways 
Facebook is alive with, you know, there's some horrendous stuff on there and, you know, um, terrible disinformation and everything else. But there's also a lot of really moving and inspiring stories of people becoming more active than they've ever been before or active for the first time or active for the first time since the 60s in the case of of uh, seniors and, and others. It, you can see it in the number of uh, people who are donating to the campaigns. I mean, the the Democrats are raising hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, it is incredible. I don't think that this amount of money in politics is particularly brilliant for democracy, but in terms of showing enthusiasm, uh, uh, on the night of the vice presidential debate earlier this week, um, the Biden campaign raised $14 million in one night. Um, and you're also wow. seeing it in the number of people that have already voted. You know, we, people often say it's election day in three, three and a half weeks time. It's election day right now. In Florida is election day today. In Virginia is election day today. I've actually got, it's on my desk by coincidence, not as a prop, but this is my ballot paper. I, I have, I am voting today. Uh, I am oh, wow. a secret ballot, but I will bring your listeners in on a secret. I'm voting for Joseph, Joseph <laughs> R. Biden, uh, uh, on the working families line. Cause in New York, you can vote. Uh, for candidates on different different lines, um, but there's a huge number of people that have already voted. Uh, seven hundred thousand people have already voted in Florida. Three and a half weeks before election day, and seven hundred thousand wow. people voted in Florida. So, you know that it is obviously a very very dark hour, but I think people are responding in in quite hopeful and and um, exciting ways. Can can I just ask them because with a ballot paper in front of you, it's very exciting. What do you mean by you can vote for different on different lines? What does that mean? Uh, I'll tell you, but I'm afraid it's a little bit boring, but just to give you a <laughs> no, no, background. No, no, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> in, some, in some states, in some states, New York is one of them. They have this thing called fusion voting where, you know, people think of America as a two-party system and that's, is the case in the sense that they, the two parties dominate, but there is a Green Party, there is a Socialist Party, there is a Conservative Party. Um, and in some states, um, there's a party that's organised called the Working Families Party. And they, on the whole, overwhelmingly support Democratic Party candidates. But they're, so they're a, their own party, and they decide who to endorse, and they decide who to campaign for. And they use the activism that they've built up amongst their own supporters and their money and the publicity of an endorsement to try and support Democratic Party candidates who are going to be more to the left, more social democratic, socialist, whatever you want to call it, people that are in favour of unions, people that are in favour of immigrant rights, people that are in favour of racial justice. And they use that to try and pull the Democratic Party towards those issues. And in New York, um, different parties can endorse uh, whoever they like. So on my ballot paper, um, there's the Democratic Party line where you can vote for Joe Biden. There's a Republican Party line where you can vote for Donald Trump. There's a Conservative Party line where you can vote for Donald Trump. And there's a Working Families Party line where you can vote for Joe Biden. There's also a Green Party and Libertarian Party. And the reason it's important for anyone who's listening to your podcast who is a New York voter, please, please, please vote in the Working Families Party line because if a certain percentage of people vote in the Working Families Party line, they're automatically on a ballot. They don't need to keep going back over and getting petitions signed to have a certain, you have to have a certain percentage of people voting for you or a certain percentage of people signing a petition to get on the ballot paper. Being on the ballot paper gives them power and influence and politicians listen to them because they're on the on the ballot paper already. So that's why I'm, I want to vote for Joe Biden, but I want to vote for them on the Working Families Party line to support that party and the causes that they fight for. 
That's absolutely fascinating. I, I had absolutely no idea that was the case. And I think a lot of us, uh, especially in the UK, we just, it's very much a two-party system as far as we're concerned. I have no idea of the influence of other parties within that and how much difference that may make to sort of future policies or, or influence within the Congress. Yeah, absolutely. And, and different factions within the parties as well, because, you know, the Democratic, the Democratic Party is not monolithic. I support. I voted for Elizabeth Warren during the election, and she has her own uh, organisation called Warren Democrats, and they fundraise and they are active and they campaign for candidates. And that money and that activism and that publicity um, means something and, and can help candidates. And so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty nuanced. And the other, the other thing that um, always bugs me about UK coverage is. Um, uh, media coverage of national opinion polls in America. The US presidential election is not a national election. It is an election of 50 uh, states plus uh, Washington, D.C. Um, and a national opinion poll really doesn't give you a sense of what's going on. You need to look at what is the opinion poll in Nevada? What is the opinion poll in Colorado? What is the opinion poll in Texas and Georgia this year seem to be on the on on the line. Um, so it's a really it's a really you know it's a big 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 country and it's a very very complex electoral system, and it isn't a, a kind of a um, a simplistic. Uh, the Democrats are like Labour or Republicans are like the Conservatives or this opinion poll says that American voters think X because it's 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 much more complicated than that. I mean, I, I um, I've never lived in the states, but I I travelled quite a bit there, and I've uh, I was there with did a lot of holidays there as a kid, and I think I'd never been um so astounded by how it almost felt like every state was a different country when I travelled around, and I hadn't realised. I think I'd always had a kid from sitcoms that America's one big place, and then you, you, you there's massive distinctions in culture and even in just the way areas look <laughs> as you're travelling through. Had absolutely no idea, I think, until until I was there. Yeah, it's, it's it is a very it is a really diverse country, and then with even within states, um, you know, it it it's, it's, it it has strength in diversity, and there's there's a lot of beauty in its diversity. And going to different parts of the country is incredible. It also has a lot of segregation still. You know, there are areas of even cities where um, it's very segregated. I lived in DC for I lived in DC twice for a total of two years, and. Um, if you're in northwest washington dc you you feel like it's uh, a quite a white city but it's a majority african american city and you you just don't see that if you live in northwest dc um it's it's very stark and and um depressing and and is a result of deliberate uh, laws um and informal you know violence and other mechanisms to make it to make it so um so it's, it's, it's a very very um diverse country and, you know sort of you learn you learn that you mentioned i worked on the campaign in 2012 you sort of learn that being in hq and sort of people talking about uh, i sat with the communications team and they'd sort of say well we, we need to talk more about environmental policy in southwest ohio because that's where there are coal mines in southwest ohio and it's sort of getting down to that level of nuance if you think about the uk 60 million people in the uk um, think about all of the different areas of the country where one message might work over another message or where the, where the party is stronger and has more activists or where there's lots of newspaper coverage or, or an area where there's not very much local news um, and then times it by 10 for, for an American election and then and then 100x on the amount of money being spent. It, uh, elections are really, really complex beasts over there. It's, it's really, really hard to 
uh, get under the hood and understand what's going on. It's it's so interesting to have that um, inside knowledge. I mean, I, I was I was just going to say it's slightly tan, uh, on a tangent, but my my brother lived in Washington DC for a year, and he lived in the outskirts when he was there. And it, it just visiting him blew my mind. I couldn't believe that we sort of arrived and there was the White House, and, all, and then you go to the outskirts, and it's like, I mean, parts of London that I've been that very you know that I've lived near all my life that are very deprived, and you sort of go, oh, this isn't presidential at all anymore. Yeah. And uh, it, it's absolutely fascinating. Had you would have no idea just from watching the news over here at all and i want to i I realize that we're talking and it's the the end even before i sent you questions before the vice presidential uh debate had happened things are changing every single day i think i sent you questions before trump got covid um (laughs) so obviously this is uh so everything i ask you could be completely different uh by the time that listeners uh hear this um but right now, and I know you said there's a lot of nuance, there's lots of things that can happen. Biden is quite far ahead in the polls. I believe he's got like an eight point lead at this point compared to other presidential candidates in at the this national time. polls he has. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I wanted to ask. So it's it's I mean, it's I'm I'm terrified of just assuming it's sewed up because we've seen this before and obviously we're in very unprecedented times or unprecedented depending on how trump's spelling it at the time what's how are you feeling about it all do you think do you think it's in biden's uh do you think it's biden's to have you know in, in, in my in my in my heart i'm i'm really nervous in my head i'm really confident and in my gut i feel sick you know i i honestly uh to go in reverse order I honestly think that a Trump victory will mean the end of um, uh, the end of the American Republic as we as we have understood it over the last fifty years post war. Um, I'm not saying that he, it's going to be some dictatorship or anything you know um, hyperbolic like that, but um, you know, in the same way that Hungary has a democracy of sorts, but you can't understand what's happening in Hungary without adding the of sorts to that sentence. I, I don't think that um, American liberal democracy as, uh, as, as it has been understood will survive a second Trump turn. So uh, I do feel in my head pretty confident uh, based on a few things, but um, I won't, I won't stop feeling sick until he's actually out of office and Joe Biden is, is in office. But, you know, I do feel confident when I look at the numbers and look at the, the, the situation, you know, no president has been reelected um, to a second term with the economy in the way it is. And that's before you even think about uh, the handling of coronavirus, which um, uh, isn't, isn't wide, widely popular, should we say. Um, uh, the polls are, um, really, really clear. I mean, Joe Biden uh, is ahead in all of the states that he needs to win, uh, plus a load of states that he doesn't need to win. The things are tied in Texas. He's one point ahead in Georgia. Uh, he's ahead in Ohio, Iowa, states that he doesn't need to win in order to win the White House. Joe Biden's ahead at the moment. Um, he's raised more money than than the the president, and is able to uh, spend more on in, in terms of advertising and, and campaigning on the ground. Um, all of those things point on paper in normal times in a normal election to an absolute landslide. Um, but there are two things that hold me back. Sorry, it's a long answer, but like you know, to get this all out, two things that I think we all should be worried about. Number one. Um, the polls had Clinton ahead in 2016 and um, hope is absolutely crushing when um, it gets dashed. And I still 
um, feel ill just thinking about how awful I felt after the 2016 election. I just literally couldn't believe it was happening. Um, as I, as I watched it, I lived in Brooklyn at the time and, um, it's not impossible that will happen again. You know, the, the all of the statisticians are sort of saying, well, there's an 80% chance of Joe Biden being the next president. 20% chance of Donald Trump being the next president is way, way higher than I feel comfortable with. Number two, and, and, and much more of a threat, I think, than our own, our own hopes and fears, is the extent to which the Republican Party has um, become a slickly, uh, well-honed, uh, sophisticated vote suppression machine. They are working day and night in states across the country to make it harder for people to vote, for make it, to make it easier to, to rule their votes out from counting, and to put in place the infrastructure to um, steal the election if it is close. That's not just Donald Trump. That's been happening for years. In Wisconsin, a state I worked in a little bit 10 years ago, um, in the state house, because of the way that the constituencies, districts as they're called there, have been the boundaries have been drawn, Republicans won around 40% of the vote in the last state house election, and they have a two-thirds majority of the seats. 40% of the vote, 62% of the seats. That is not a, that is not a functioning uh, democracy. Um, in Georgia, they brought in a new law that to be able to vote, you had to show photo ID, your driver's license. And then they closed the offices where you get to go and uh, get a driver's license. They closed the offices in counties where a majority of the voters were African-American. In, uh, I think it's Ohio, maybe it might be Wisconsin, they removed student ID from the piece of identification that you could use in order to prove who you were so you could vote, making it much harder for students to be a- able to vote. Um, they are a well-honed, uh, heavily invested vote suppression machine. They make it harder to vote. They make it easier to to uh, rule your vote out if you manage to get into the polls. People you will see on Twitter early voting queues outside polling stations, and they talk about them in terms of enthusiasm. I don't think that long lines out of a polling station is a sign of enthusiasm. I think it's a sign of a failure to invest in uh, uh, democracy, a failure to invest in people's ability to vote, and and quite often. Quite, sometimes that is just simply um, austerity and, and not spending enough money on, on, on voting. But sometimes it is a deliberate attempt to make it much harder to, to go and vote. I'll give you one more example. Sorry, you've, got me, you've set me off here. But um, in, in Texas, the governor signed a, an executive order earlier this week that limited the number of places where you could go and drop off your ballot paper if you wanted to vote early. You can mail it in or you can go and drop it off. A lot of people are worried about mailing it in because there's been huge problems with the postal service recently. Uh, the governor limited the number of drop-off centers to one per county, right? One per county in uh, to drop off your ballot paper. In Republican counties, there's one on the very far west side of, of Texas. There's a county with 2,600 people living in, in that county, and they have one drop-off spot. In Harris County, which is where... Uh, Houston is, there are 4.7 million people living in that county and they have one drop-off spot. Now, I don't, you don't need to me to tell you which of those two counties is very, very heavily Democratic and which of them is very heavily Republican. It goes without saying. 
that is happening across the country and it is really really not impossible that the republicans will be able to steal this election before uh, or after so i am hopeful it very well could be an absolute landslide of historic proportions but it also could be a stolen election that will be a stain on the united states for generations to come and we'll be back with Matt. life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles no enrollment periods and especially no more what ifs visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a minute, but first... With all the new lockdown tears and coronavirus fears, you might be wondering just how are we doing in comparison to the rest of the world in terms of our infection rates. We do like to be world leading in the UK after all. So I thought I'd use this week's very short middle bit to update you on just how we fare when it comes to COVID productivity, because it turns out that despite how the majority vote, we really are a nation of sharers. Well, when it comes to germs anyway. In terms of active cases, we are currently fifth highest in the world, but second highest for new cases. So give us a day or two and we'll be catching up to the US like it's the Olympics and we have the bronze in sight. In terms of death toll, we're down at fifth in the world with 42,825 at the time of recording, which means we've dropped down from our previous high ranking of being second in the world. But hey, it is still early doors in the second wave, so there's a chance we'll race past Mexico in fourth place any day now, though they are double deaths a day compared to us. Just because they have their Day of the Dead and really want 2021 celebrations to be cray-cray, I see you, Mexico. I see you. For some reason, either absolutely no one has recovered from COVID in the UK, which is possible if you count the PTSD we'll all have for years to come every time we see a mask or someone mentions Durham. But according to the global charts, we're down at 220th in the world for recoveries because we've got a rating of zero, which I don't think makes sense. However, the UK's own stats reckon nearly 400,000 people have recovered from corona and made it through to the other side, which actually isn't too bad. So while we like to complain that our government are particularly shit, it turns out they are. I mean, not not the worst, but they are in the top five in the world shit at handling coronavirus. But infections are rapidly rising in many other places around the world, such as Peru, Canada, Israel, Russia, France and Spain. So we're not alone, but they're not rising in Anguilla because, you know, I know you're worried. Don't worry about Anguilla. They'll be fine. They're doing really well. 
As for our national numbers, the rona is increasing everywhere fast, apart from the southwest, which must be because it's hard to breathe out onto someone while you're chewing straw. Hee <laughs> hee, stereotypes. Northern Ireland as a whole also has super low numbers, though Derry and Belfast are the exception to the rule, probably on account of that being where people actually are. The R number in the UK is currently between 1.2 and 1.5, meaning on average one person will infect one other person and then either a very tiny person, a baby or just someone's legs. Liverpool does have nearly 600 cases per 100,000 people, with 400 new cases a day, so it does make quite a lot of sense that it's one of the first places to go to Tier 3. But Nottingham has 760 cases per 100,000 people, and it's just on Tier 2, so actually none of it makes sense and it's all really stupid. I'm sure there's some logic somewhere to do with how Boris Johnson doesn't like Liverpool and wrote horrible things about it in The Spectator, but he hasn't been to Nottingham or at least doesn't remember it. So, there you go. I'm not sure if any of that's useful, but we only had time for a very quick middle section this week, and that's where we are now, and we probably won't be in a week's time when more people have coronavirus than don't, and you get teased for being a non-coughing weirdo Steve if you haven't. Unless you're in Anguilla, in which case you'll probably just be at the beach having a lovely time. Bloody Anguilla. And now, back to Matthew. It's absolutely terrifying. It's villainous is, is, is what that is. Um, I mean, and, and it's because obviously Trump's been kind of talking down the postal uh, votes and saying that, you know, it's fraudulent already sort of there's questions that I'll, I'll come to in a minute about whether Trump is going to stand down if he loses. But I mean, you know, there there has been concern in the past about the voting machines in America. And is this why there's now a big push for people to hand them in personally? Is there a real sort of conscious effort to uh, be be you know, using written ballots and, and handing them in that way. I mean, it's it's less that and more that people don't want to go and vote in person because coronavirus is still out of control because of the White House has failed to, you know, if you think that we're, we've got, a, we're having a hard time in the UK and there's government incompetence. I mean, it's, it's nothing compared to the United States. That's not to uh, uh, absolve uh, the the prime minister and the conservatives <laughs> of, 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 of their responsibility. But I mean, people are, people are scared of going, of going out you know it's it's a it's a it's a it, the, the 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 virus is as bad in many parts of the united states as it was here in april and um people are trying to be take precautions vote by post instead um what that does mean is that in you know in some states they count the the ballots um they start counting on election day so postal votes won't be finished they won't finish counting postal votes for 10 days two weeks in some states they count in advance so in florida 800,000 people have voted by post already those votes are being counted right now but in some states they'll the what they result what they announce on the day arizona for example the result they announce on the day will be the votes that they that will cast that day and 70% of Republicans say they're going to vote on the day in Arizona, and only 30% of Democrats say they're going to vote on the day in Arizona. So the result on the day, in, on election day in the United States, will be very heavily in Arizona Republican. But the Democrats, are, 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 are the, the polling suggests they're going to win, but that won't be announced for two weeks, which we'll come on to talk about how Trump can steal the election but just to go uh or, or might try um but just to go back to one thing you just said just now about um uh you know voting problems in the past uh, it's not one system every state has its own um board of elections and they do things in a different in different ways on my ballot paper here um on this uh, i don't know why i'm holding it up no one can see it you can see it um uh, there's a little oval next to uh, Joe Biden's name and uh, to vote, you color it in, you color in the oval and that makes it machine readable and you put it into a scanner. When I send this off, 
they'll open it at the other end and they'll put it into a scanner and that will count my vote. In some states, you pull a lever and it punches a hole through a bit of paper. In some states, in New York state elections, not federal elections, in state elections, I can vote by pushing a touchscreen you know, like buying a train ticket, you put to, it's a touchscreen uh, and it's different, it's different everywhere. I don't think there's anywhere in the United States where you <coughs> get a piece of paper and put an X with a pencil. I think that's a, a British thing. So we don't have any kind of hashtag user pen campaigns like they did in the, the, the SMP. But it, I mean, uh, I mean, aside from the sort of the quirks and the weirdness of it all, it's just very, very underinvested in, you know, I, I've never been to vote in the US without having to queue. I've never queued in the UK ever. I've never been to a polling station and have had to really queue. I mean, you sort of get to the table and there's someone in front of you and you're sort of waiting. But like in the US, you're like queuing out of the door. Um, I've had friends who have been to vote in Washington, DC this year, and they have been in the queue for four or five hours. And that's not in a, like a particularly high turnout election. That's just a normal election. They just have enough people. Um, so it's not just a kind of you know nefarious stuff that's going on. Um, America just doesn't spend enough money and think seriously its uh, responsibilities to have a well-run, efficient voting system. I suppose it's not in the in the favour of many Republicans to do that, is it? If you know can, it, consistency in the way you vote, or making it easier for people to understand how it votes. Um, I mean, up to, up to a point, to but vote, yeah. but New York is run by the Democrats, and it's still a pretty crappy uh, voting system there. The one thing that is much better in the US than the UK is when you vote in the US, you get a sticker that oh, says that's "I nice. voted," and it's a it's a love. It's always a different design. In New, in New York, they now have a like a competition, and artists can like um, uh, enter the contest to design the "I voted" sticker, and that's very very cool. Um, and some states, when you send out for a postal ballot, they put some stickers in in your envelope when they send you the ballot. I didn't get that, unfortunately. So um, I'm going to try and make my daughter make me a, a an I voted sticker for when I when I when I've posted this off. Nice, that's brilliant. That's really cool. I really I want a sticker next time I vote. I'm quite jealous. <laughs> um, so uh, stickers is such a, a nice moment. I'm going to ask you depressing questions now. Um, we, we just mentioned about about Trump. Uh, you know, he's already sort of putting into play the idea that the election might be rigged um, or that something may go wrong. And this is all, again, discounting the fact that God knows what will happen to his uh, coronavirus condition or whatever by the time that people listen to this. He's been missing for 24 hours at the point that we're talking. So after some weird videos, who knows? But But, you know, is... What what can happen if he says that it's not, uh, you know, a legal election? What can happen if he says that it's rigged? Can the Supreme Court uphold a re-election? Is there anything that would uphold the results as they are? Um, is you know, is that a scary possibility? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a there's a, a short answer and a long answer. I'll I'll do both, and then you can cut out whichever <laughs> whichever, you know, whichever you think your listeners will be will be less interested in. So, I mean, it, it is scary. Um, but I, I sort of, on one, on one hand, I want the democratic party and the Biden campaign and, and, you know, democratic governors and everyone else to be thoughtful about it and to prepare for it. But at the same time, we've got to focus as an election to win. Um, I think for us over here, there's not much we can do about it. We can't campaign. Um, you can't donate if, unless you're an American citizen. So uh, we are just watching and it's an interesting topic of conversation, but I hope in the U S that people are focused on turning out the vote and having a massive landslide and have absolutely no doubt about the country's rejection of, of Donald Trump. 
Uh, having said that, it, it might be close and it is scary. He's specifically saying first president in modern times to say that he would not guarantee that he will respect the election result and 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 respect the peaceful transfer of power um and the way in which he can uh, try and undermine that is, is is sort of to contest the results uh suing in the courts to contest the results ultimately that would wind up at the supreme court which currently has a uh um a 5-3 um uh, majority for the right now it's not partisan um the Supreme Court isn't partisan in the way that you know, Congress is or your Parliament is. Um, they are judges who, um, some most of whom, um, take the law really, really seriously. And it wouldn't just be like kind of, well, is Trump versus Biden? We're just going to go with Trump. Uh, at the same time, they are conservatives, and they, you know, I think it's very likely that um, well, people should be very worried about the Supreme Court deciding the election result. Put it that way. Um, so it is scary and. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I like I said earlier, I, I'm not going to stop feeling sick until Joe Biden is inaugurated as the president and, and Trump is out. Like an election day win is not enough in this scenario. We can't relax uh, uh, if Biden is declared the, the victor. I'm going to give a slightly longer answer now. If people want the, uh, if if people really want the the absolute nuance of it, because you know. It is scary, and I'm gonna. I'll go through. I'll go through just the, sort of the mechanics of how this could uh, happen. So in 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 the US, um, it is an election of. Uh, uh, it's not a national election. It's not a popular vote. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes last time, but she lost in the electoral college, and the electoral college is is an actual group of people. So if I vote, I, as I am about to in New York. I'm voting for Joe Biden's slate of electoral college delegates. And that's a group of 29 actual human beings who on the uh, 2nd of January or whenever it, whenever inauguration day is, will physically travel to Washington, D.C. And they will meet with the electoral college delegates of other states and they will cast their votes. And Joe Biden won't be elected by, you know, 73 million people. He'll be elected by 313 uh, electoral college voters, electors, um, and 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 those individuals um, are decided by who wins the vote in that individual state. And if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, in 2000, um, there was a contested election in Florida over who, which slate of elector electoral college delegates would go to DC, and George Bush. Uh, ultimately won by 536 votes i think i remember that right um and he went to uh, uh he became the, the president and what happened in that uh state was that george bush was ahead on the votes that had been counted and there was a dispute over a whole load of uh votes that had been counted and left out because of hanging chads or they, they'd been uh, the votes had been cast incorrectly and there were lawsuits over should we recount those votes or not? Should we count these votes that came in a bit late, but the, the the postage stamp was from before election day? And those there were lots of different lawsuits, and they worked their way through. The Florida Supreme Court said that those votes should be counted. And after the election, it was actually, you know, an investigation was done, and those votes would have put Al Gore over the top. But the, um, the lawsuits went up the chain to the Supreme Court that ruled that... Um, 
uh, the election the process was too far back and it should just be stopped and uh, uh, lock the result in as it was. And that was what gave George Bush um, the, uh, uh, the, the the election result. In 1870, really, this is really a long version, going back to 1870, in Louisiana, there was a dispute over the Democratic Party's slate of electors versus the Republican Party's slate of electors. The Republican Party was uh, against slavery, fought the Civil War on behalf of the North and, and, and won. Democrats were the racist scumbags then. Confusing. Um, and And that went all the way to the... Uh, House of Representatives, where the House voted on which of the two slates of electors to accept. So that's context for how Trump could steal this election. What he could say is, if an election is very close in Arizona, uh, uh, he's he's ahead on election day, he could sue and say, these postal ballots are fraudulent. They shouldn't be counted. I want these postal ballots to be ruled out um, as fraudulent ballots, and we're just going to go with who voted on election day. And um, I was ahead on election day, so I get the the electoral uh, college delegates from from that state. And that could happen in Arizona and Wisconsin and Colorado and Florida and Texas and so on and so forth. And those that deluge of lawsuits, wherever there is a close election, is what is the sort of the mechanism by which he could attempt to tilt the election in in his favour. There's a second route that he can take to uh, try and steal the election, which is to assert loudly and angrily that he uh, has been hard done by in the same way that he's been saying that Obama spied on him and it was an attempted coup and all of this other kind of stuff. I think that latter is is the one that is more of a threat for, um, you know, peace. Uh, if he does that, it will rile up far-right terror gangs to commit acts of violence that's what will that's in reality what will happen the former is a, is more of a constitutional threat those lawsuits are constitutionally much more of a threat than trump just shouting um trump will shout if if he if trump does shout that will cause civil disturbance there will be riots there could be violent attacks etc uh, but it's the lawsuits i think that people should look out for those are the things that could tilt um, actual um, election results against the Democrats um, and, and and cost Biden the election. Going back to what I said at the beginning, I think that I think that I hope that uh, this will be such a big blowout that it, it won't matter on the day. Trump will say that he has been hard done by and he was cheated out of it by getting coronavirus and the fake media uh, was always out to get him and blah blah blah. But hopefully, hopefully. There won't be any constitutional basis for him to uh, make too much noise and he won't go so far as to rile up violence on the streets and um, he can go off into the dustbin of history as a bad loser. But it is scary times. I I am scared and I think people should be really worried about it. Um, But at the same time, stay focused on the the job in hand and and hopefully win a big blowout that, that will avoid some of these problems. So these are these are very scary times, and I, I, one of my, you know, I, I, I suppose without doubt Biden needs to win, right? And, and I fully understand that, and I'm sort of quite left wing, and I, 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 but Biden needs to win. It's got to not be Trump for the future. But is Biden just running on a kind of not Trump platform? Is there? anything else to him you know i i can't obviously i'm watching from overseas but i can't tell you a lot about his policies and pledges other than it sort of it will return to maybe pre-trump times is there more to him than that or is this i mean are we really sort of is america really just in need of the least worst option right now 
Um, the, the absence of a white supremacist in the White House is in itself a, vote, a victory for progress. And um, I don't love the kind of vote for a lesser of two evils uh, approach to being a progressive. Um, this is like the one time when that's okay. Like um, uh, Trump is a, is a tremendous threat uh, to uh, democracy itself and to uh, tens and tens of millions of people from healthcare to immigrant rights to racial justice. Um, and him not being in the White House in itself would be a massive, massive victory for progressives. But to, to answer your actual question, um, you know, yeah, I, look, I think that Joe Biden is, I didn't vote for Joe Biden in the primary. So I'm not here to be like a, a Joe Biden person, but I would say that he is, um, he is a progressive. He is a liberal. Now, I'm on the left as well. I voted for Elizabeth Warren. I kind of, you know, the politics, the shorthand version, like simplistic and crude, is sort of Nordic social democracy is is sort of my uh, favourite cup of tea. Um, so I'm I'm to the left of Biden. I'm to the was to the left of Obama um, and happily worked for him. Um, uh, but Joe Biden is a he's a good man. He is an empathetic person who cares very very deeply about. Uh, people in the country there are just millions of stories of of his incredible kindness and compassion and having a good-hearted uh, empathetic person in the white house um it, it, you know as the most powerful person in the country or one of the most powerful people in the world like that's that's not as much as i want i wanted elizabeth warren and um I, there's more than that i want but that's not irrelevant but he is also um, a, a, a genuine liberal in the American sense of that word and is willing to do, wants to do, is passionate about doing really good things, particularly on climate change, particularly on um, uh, uh, gun violence, avoiding uh, more bloodshed gun violence, um, and particularly on kind of infrastructure and manufacturing. Now, it's not a very like uh, sexy kind of thing, but like um, he, he absolutely loves uh, trains and he absolutely loves public transit and he absolutely loves, um, uh, uh, you know, getting stuff built. And, and I think that's important, especially when you, when you tie it into something I'm going to say in a second about the Green New Deal. And he's also really pro-unions. And so there, there, there are actual reasons why Joe Biden is good, Above and beyond, he's not bad. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that um, the Democratic Party is not the Democratic Party of, of 10 years ago uh, uh, or even of four years ago. Uh, Bernie Sanders in, in particular, but Elizabeth Warren and some of the uh, other campaign groups out there and AOC and, and others have changed the Democratic Party for the better. And Joe Biden is going to enact something that isn't the Green New Deal that AOC herself would write kind of thing, but it's going to be, it's probably going to be something that's much more radical than the UK Labour Party would come up with. And I think that in this country, we're quite unused to the idea that an American president could be to the left of uh, a UK Labour Party or, or, the, or the French Socialists. But I think there are, there are areas in which Joe Biden will be uh, really quite radical. And I think climate change is one of those uh, to look out for. I think immigration reform, um, uh, giving uh, immigrants a path to citizenship, uh, uh, regularizing the, the situation for undocumented immigrants. Um, I think there's areas where he's going to be really, really progressive. Um, but I think the, the main change we'll see is having an individual who has a heart, who is not a racist, who is empathetic and cares very, very, very deeply about other human beings. I, I know there are lots of politicians do that, right? But I think Joe Biden is, he is a little bit different. You know, he is, 
um, he is a, a very, very, very kind-hearted man. So in addition to, you know, not fascist, actually got really good progressive policies, is under pressure in meaningful ways by people who want to pull him to the left and hopefully will anchor him um, to, to where the left of where he'd ideally like to be. Also, really, 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 really good kind-hearted guy. That's really fascinating to know. And again, and again, I think it's a, a sort of the view that we get from overseas is that simply that he's not Trump, you know, and even in the debates where we hear is him being talked over. So we don't know enough about him. Um, but I mean, as you said, him not being Trump is such a major factor right now. And the fact that perhaps there'd be a president who you wouldn't wake up the next morning to find a world war might have been started at 4am on the toilet. Well, it would be yeah, a massive yeah. bonus. Um, can I, can, I, can, got, I, can oh, I just, can yeah, I just tell you a very quick, feel free to cut this out if it's a bit narcissistic, but like a quick Joe Biden story. Uh, you know, he's not not exactly my politics cup of tea and I didn't vote for him in this primary, but I, I really, really do love the guy and the way he talks about his family um, and where he's from um, speaks to me personally and I find very uh, moving and, and meaningful. Um, the best day of my whole 2012 campaign, you know, working on a presidential campaign is very, very stressful, very hard work. You feel a, an extraordinary amount of pressure to, you know, not lose because of the consequences um, uh, and there aren't that many, there aren't that many moments of, of light until you win. And my best day of the 2012 election campaign was on September, uh, early September on my birthday when um, Joe Biden almost called me. Now, this is how much I love Joe Biden. Um, he didn't actually call me, <laughs> but the fact that he almost <laughs> did, I was on his call sheet. It was on his list of things to do near the bottom. He was supposed to be calling me about a, his uh, press secretary had got me added to his call sheet to call me and say happy birthday. I didn't know about this until afterwards. And they told me and to apologize. Sorry, he didn't call you. He just had a really rubbish day. He just got fed up and didn't finish his, his list of things to do. It was still one of my best days. Uh, he is um, a really, really um, great person. And like I said, um, the, the way he talks about his family and um, loss in particular in his family, um and where he's from um really speaks to me and i i think it would be a i think he will make a really really good president and he'll be surrounded by people that will pull him to the left which will make it a great presidency yeah i, th I think especially the way in which he talks about his son is, is very moving i think uh that's always just again i suppose it's been so unusual for the past four years it's it's especially moving to hear someone have have humanity to them again uh that may be in that position um, and i wondered also probably if, with all the work you did with Obama, some of Biden's, uh, just his tweets, even uh, where he put a video of Trump saying, you won't hear from me again, I won't be here. And he just said, I am Joe Biden, I endorse this message. And I thought, Do you know what, he should win on the basis of that alone. That's so wonderful. It's so it's a beautiful yeah. bit of comedy in the campaigning there. It was incredible. Um, yeah. We are we are running out of time, uh, so I will um, just ask you. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you the last question, which uh, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You're absolutely fascinating, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show. Um, but just one last thing, which is, uh, you know, especially for us over here in the UK, um, who should we be following? Who should we be reading for proper US politics election info? Who breaks it down well, uh, well enough for us to understand? And who are your sort of go to people? That's a that's a great question, and I and I should have put some more thought into uh, <laughs> into, into having a, a few to a reel off for you. Um, I, I, I tell you what, I'm just going to give you a few now, and then I'll also send you a few to add into the to the to the show notes. Fantastic. Um, I, I, I think for for media coverage and just sort of you know how is the media reporting it? I'd really recommend Ben Smith, who writes for the 
the New York Times. It's the kind of sort of establishment view of how the media is is covering things. Um, from a from a polling point of view, I, I do think that that Nate Silver is is quite interesting. Five thirty eight is is quite interesting. But I would also follow um, Daily Co's elections. I can't remember the Twitter handle off the top of my head. I think it's DK Elections, but I'll I'll send it to you. Um, Daily Co's is sort of a left leaning um uh, blog forum and um they've got a team of three or four full-time staff shows you the different scale over there uh, and they write a lot on, on on polling both at a presidential election but i think really really important senate races house races state house races are really really important this year so up and down the ticket is is gonna is gonna be a, a massive a massive deal um and then um you know some just some interesting interesting reporters uh uh, to follow i think rosie gray is really fantastic i think Catherine miller is really fantastic they're both from uh, buzzfeed um i think henry zeffman from the london times is probably the best of the uk uh reporters um who's who's out there covering uh things and you know the number one uh political journalist mainstream political journalist for this stuff is dave uh weigel w-e-i-g-e-l uh he's from the washington post and he is um second to none and then the last one i want to recommend is the the you know the source the expert on all things to do with voter suppression and the threat that republicans pose to people's ability to vote is ari berman um that's a-r-i berman b-e-r-m-a-n uh he is a brilliant tweeter he's really good on instagram as well and um, his stuff is really, really interesting. But I'll send you a few, a few others over as well. Wasn't that great? So informative. Um, huge thank you to Matthew for having the time to chat. And you can find him on Twitter at Mac, uh, MC Gregor, G-R-E-G-O-R-M-T. And if he sends over any extra links or recommendations, they'll be in the pod notes or page for this episode on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, where all the linear liner notes for each show reside, thanks to Cat Day, who types them up every single week. Thank you, Cat. Though he was on the show as, uh, well, himself, uh, representing himself, uh, Matthew does also work for Hope Not Hate, who will be publishing a big report on far-right groups and hate politics in America very soon, so do keep an eye out for that. Uh, and you can find them and what they do at hopenothate.org.uk or at hopenothate on Twitter. And thank you loads to former podcast Paul Di Gregorio for putting me in touch with Matthew too. Um, Paul's Do Something Anything email um, is such a great read and I'll pop a link to sign up to that in the pod blurb. Do do it. It very much, uh, very much cheers me up and informs me all at once uh, every time I get one of them. I think I've got the next few episodes sewn up like something who's good at sewing is sewn. Um, of course, that shouldn't stop you getting in touch and recommending other people, places and things that I should interview in future. So if you have a nagging want for me to get a particular somebody or what body on the podcast, do drop me a line at Parpol Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could pay a small fly to land on my head and whisper it to me, but I'll probably just swat it away as I'm not dead yet. So, as always, probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you and the holes you use to absorb sound for listening in. And, of course, you've made it to the end of the show, so you shall be awarded with this week's incredible Parpol Bro Hot Pole Goss Fact. 
With the British government's insistence to enact policy, it does the absolute worst for everyone, meaning we all get coronavirus and broke. Uh, do you know what the stupidest policy decision ever was? I mean, excluding all of the current ones. Well, it wasn't the US prohibition, where the 18th Amendment of the country's constitution in 1920 banned the sale of alcohol, which is just stupid. I mean, aside from it completely ruining tax revenue and causing a massive boost in organised crime, because it's only judges that are meant to be sober. But also, if you don't want people to pay attention to how shit you are as a government, the worst thing to do is enforce clarity. You hear that? You hear that? Government closing pubs? They're not really closing pubs. Maybe that's why. Uh, nor is it the Darien scheme in 1698, where the Kingdom of Scotland tried to establish a colony called New Caledonia on the coast of Panama. There are loads of reasons it went wrong, though weirdly none of them are because Central America is at least 30 degrees Celsius all year round, and that's just too warm for porridge. Disease, poor planning, the English being bastards again, and the Spanish also being bastards again, all led to it bankrupting the Scottish ruling class and then having to partake in the act of union with England. It's all right, though, as I think they're planning to fix that fairly soon. No, the very worst policy decision ever was the inventor of stocking filler books, Chairman Mao Zedong, with his Great Leap Forward, which as a name sounds really fun, but not if you don't look first and you land into a mass famine. Mao's plans to increase China's economy and industry involved such classic ideas as changing farming initiatives so crops couldn't grow and selling all of the country's food, which meant there wasn't enough of it and 40 million people starved to death. I'm sure Zedong is gutted he wasn't around today, or he could have just passed it off as sovereignty and got some great international deals on chlorinated chicken. That's this week's incredibly unresearched and understated pop opera hot pot goss fact. And if you like that, do like, subscribe and spread the word. If though it made you so furious, you're now going to subscribe to this show on every podcast platform in existence just to not ever listen to it ever again on any of them, then please do that as subscribes are what gets it in the charts. Thanks. If you fancy it, donate to the Kofi Patreon or ACAR supporter button and pop a nice five-star review about it wherever you can. Dank has shown to ACAR, my brother the last sceptic, Cat Day, Scott Napier and Katie Coxall. And this will be back next week when Boris Johnson announces tiers 3.5, 4.7 and tier star Sycamore class, putting different streets in various cities into each one and ensuring no one can shout words beginning with the first half of the alphabet, but you can have a pint of beer on some train tracks if it's a Wednesday. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Regeneron. Fight COVID with Regeneron and everyone else as it rages through your veins and makes you twice the man you used to be even if you weren't a man beforehand. Did I say man? I meant melting lion wizard. Regeneron, made from the blood of a minotaur. I take it every day and I haven't coughed since 1912. Regeneron may cause adverse rage, weird capital letter tweeting and delirium. Please ask your doctor if it's safe for you to take Regeneron based on your insurance premiums and jobs you might offer them after the election. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.